Can you say about the example of the East Bay Navigation Center and the application process? I'm trying to understand what you were talking about. Well, one of the things that they do is they do not allow a white teacher to teach by herself or himself. They have white teachers paired up with either people of color or people from the alphabet soup group so that it is a representation that the people who are teaching are teaching to the people that they are wanting to feel welcome. That's one thing. The second thing that they do is they have an email list that is divided up into different people who self-identify in different ways. And they let them know a month in advance everything that's happening. And then they open it up generally later. And their goal is to have 50% of the people who are attending everything be either people of color or a mixture of people of color and alphabet soup group. So that the people who tend to be excluded or marginalized or sidelined are put front and center. And then they have incredible policies of welcoming and letting people know this is their space and making the space um, comfortable and you know dealing with whatever kind of issues come up with different people around all of this stuff. And so they are very sophisticated in their acknowledging and recognizing the kinds of accommodations that are needed in different senses and the kinds of sensitivity that are needed. And so the diversity in that group is probably the greatest of any group in the country. It's magnificent. Just magnificent. And part of the reason why they got there is because some of the guiding teachers are either people of uh, color, gay and lesbians, and so they understand the issue. So it's not like they were trying to pull in uh, stuff from... They've lived it. They know it. They know what it feels like. They know the difference of what it's like to feel comfortable and safe and what it's not. You know, and how do you do that?
and you contributed in your own small way. Uh, in a very structured final article, ecclesiastical set, and I um, and I liked that because I felt I felt I entered it because I felt I was called to it, as though it had been a surgical implant. I mean, that's kind of not what a vocation was in those days, at least my understanding of it was. And I realized over the course of these few years that I didn't want to do this. And that I had the freedom and the right that it was okay not to want to do this. I hadn't really chosen it. So I left and then uh, went along. Okay, bottom line. I come, I'm a very, I'm a product of this capitalist society. And, and just the idea, oh, this is going to sound so harsh, but I'm going to say it. And I will sit with this, and I will, I invite your response. But the, the idea of any able-bodied person not earning their own way, not 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 feeding themselves, not taking care of themselves. I mean, it just goes against this whole independence kind of thing that I was raised with. And I say that I want to I want to open my heart to this interdependence that you're talking. Thank you. It's, it takes a lot of courage to speak up in a way where you feel that what you have to say is um, not necessarily what is going to be welcome and being heard. And yet what you're speaking about is a very fundamental uh, conundrum of being an alms mendicant in this culture. Because we come from a Protestant work ethic where there's something almost considered immoral about not earning your own um, bread and butter and um, being independent in terms of your capacity to support yourself. And so we have that conditioning, which is deeply, deeply, deeply embedded in our minds and bodies, in our structures. And yet having lived as an alms mendicant, I can speak about the challenge of what that was for me to enter into and accept, as well as the incredible experiences of grace that come from living like that. Now. Um, you know, there have been many people that have suggested that really what's needed is to kind of throw that model out the window and to do something where the monks or the nuns are more self-sustaining because we just don't have the capacity now or that, you know, this culture is a very different culture than the alms mendicant culture that was supported in India 2,500 years ago. And, you know, I haven't come to an answer to that yet. But I know, you know, this is the same thing that Ajahn Sumedho was faced with when he first came to England. You know, people said, there's just no way you can have people walking around bald. You know, forget that. (laughs) And there's just absolutely no way you can have them walking around in robes or not handling money. Forget that. And you can't have them doing alms round. Forget that. Because it's just like, you know, an English society is just not going to accept any of these things. So, you know, people would be on his case morning, noon, and night about everything that he had to do and change and all the rest of that. And his stance on that was to go into his room and close the door and let his mind go into a state of silence. And then he would come out with the sense of, we will do what we know 
And if we can't do it like that, we will change. But as long as we can, we will keep with what we know. So it wasn't a mandate that this was the only thing that we were going to do, but we were going to try and see if it worked. Now, I've lived as an alms mendicant for 20 years. You know, I don't walk around with two pennies in my pocket. You know, I've traveled around the world. And there have been times where I've gotten into various different scrapes one way or the other. And it has never ceased to amaze me the kinds of things that happen to help support, you know, or the kinds of ways that people are touched when they draw near or come close or they get a sense of it. So we've got different conditionings that are rubbing up against each other. And it, it doesn't feel comfortable, yeah? And so I can absolutely appreciate that it doesn't feel comfortable. But just because it doesn't feel comfortable doesn't mean that we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? Now, I'm not convinced that the kind of way that the bhikkhuni vinya is written, which is the vinya that I have, the monastic discipline that I have, that it is the most conducive for it to be kept in the way that I'm keeping it now. I'm not yet convinced about that. But because I've only had bhikkhuni ordination last year, it's way too early for me to make any kinds of decisions about any of these things. And so my preceptor was adamant. She wasn't adamant. She didn't give me any inch of leeway (laughs) because I hawked to her four times about negotiating this business with the food being offered. She refused to answer my questions. Okay? And somebody else whispered in my ear that, you know, they knew another bhikkhuni who made allowances and accommodations and didn't do it like that, and it would, you know, just be a lot easier if I didn't. And... And I thought about it, and I thought, well, yeah, well, in that situation, she's supported with people who have total faith in what she's doing and are happy to support her. And she's making these accommodations so that they don't have to stand on their head when they go away. You know, I'm in a context where people don't have a clue what I'm doing. And if I make accommodations because it's not convenient in one context, there's no logical reason why I'm going to be able to explain why it needs to be kept in another context. So if I'm not consistent with this, I don't have enough support around me to make this something that could possibly work in the future. So I thought, well, you know, I don't know, but I'll hang out with this not knowing and see what happens. You know? I'll hang out with this stuff. You know, so my father, you know, my father is a confirmed intellectual. You know, he absolutely thinks some of this stuff. You know, so I I go get a glass of juice because he's been in bed a lot, so he doesn't get up and help. So I don't ask him to go serve me. So I bring a glass of juice from the refrigerator and offer it to him, and he, he just goes through this thing, which just makes me realize he thinks this is absolutely absurd. But he does it, you know? And so, you know, it's a process. And I think part of what needs to be recognized is that some of these things are going to be in process for a while until forms emerge and settle out that really feel like they are sustainable and viable. Yes, Salazi. Um, Ajahn Tanisanti, thank you for the talk tonight. And I'll be honest, the first time I've heard you describe uh, and share your vision of this four-fold community felt a lot of resistance. Um, I just didn't see, I, I couldn't see how this could possibly work. I absolutely couldn't see how I could fit into the vision. I don't know, lots of stuff. Uh, but tonight, however, I, I feel deeply moved. And, and for whatever reason, I get it. 
Mm-hmm. It just takes time to process, or maybe I'm not sure why, but I, it seems like I get it. And it feels like I want to be a part of what it is that you describe. Describe. It feels vital. It feels important. Um, and so I'm just curious about, and I know that you're a visionary, but what do you see as as being the first steps for those people who 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 choose to be involved in what it is that, that you're describing? Well, I think the first steps is to sign up and to let people know that you want to be involved, and then we're going to have to figure out what that looks like, and you know, and make you know have conversations about that. So, you know, we need to have a number of discussions about, you know, who would be good to have on the board and who's good to have on subcommittees and how do we start pulling in the people who are wanting to be involved and how do we have them link together and communicate with each other. So there begins to be a kind of infrastructure of people in relationship with each other as well as in relationship with me. And... You know, somebody said that they knew how to maybe set something up on the website so that people could start communicating with each other. You know, we've got some small things in place, but I think basically what's going to need to happen is we're going to need to have a community meeting where all the people who are interested come together and we talk about it. You know, that's the best that I can come up with. But what's important is that we know who those people are so we can contact them, you know. That's going to be important, is that we have ways of knowing who wants to be involved in this so that when we're having meetings or conversations or discussions or whatever, teleconferences about it, we know how we know who that is and how to contact them. So do you have any sense, Elwazi, of what shifted from the first time you heard this to now? It's going to take a while for me to really identify it, but I think just the, the, the benefit of just a fuller, more elaborate description of your vision and you really put things in, into context. Um, I, I think this this time you, I don't know, maybe I just didn't hear it the first time, but tonight I heard a fuller appreciation of, of, of the struggles that people who, who have been deemed the other, the challenges that they have faced in the society. And I heard tonight a, a, a deeper appreciation for, for for that plight from you, and not that uh, that plight will be ignored, but there there is a place where everyone can can bring who they are uh, to the table, and there's a place where that can be held, and there is something for for everyone uh, to do. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Yes. Hi. Thank you. I'm a visitor, and I appreciate you being here. And I think it's kind of serendipitous that this is for the July, because I think there's a real analogy between um, the, uh, our Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. I think that you know our forefathers wrote this document, and really they, it's kind of like when we were talking about the, the emptiness didn't fit into that forum and you felt that when you were in the monastery and there was such unequal, there was so much prejudice against women. They wrote this document with these beautiful <laughs> words about freedom for everyone, happiness, the pursuit of happiness. But really, they they were inspired and they wrote this, but really the, the forms were for white men who had land. <laughs> That's who the, the form included then. But then, as Time went on, that kept, you know, people just kept going back. Look what 
<laughs> it says this. Our institutions aren't supporting that. We've got to change our institutions. And we keep going back to it still. It's organic. We still have to keep going back to it. You know, women have to vote. People of color get to vote. You know, people, you know, and, and, it's, and it continues. It's, it's just, it'll probably go on forever. It's just a, like an ideal that, that we keep trying to, to still fulfill, just like non-harm, <laughs> the Buddha's ideal. Well, you know, part of the way I've been able to understand what we've had to navigate is is that, you know, there's all kinds of things that evolve, and cultures evolve, and people evolve, you know. So even within the Buddha's teachings, there's descriptions about how you relate to and take care of slaves, okay? So there's proper ways of taking care of slaves and improper ways of taking care of slaves, all right? But we know in our society now that it's totally not okay to have a slave, even though the Buddha describes how you take care of slaves, okay? So the culture has moved on, yeah? So what's important is, is that as the culture moves on, then we're able to incorporate the values of the new learning, you know, as this moves through different kinds of people or classes of people or categories of people, you know? And, you know, the Buddhist teachings is 2,500 years old, so there's been changes that have happened, you know. And, and some of the, 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 these topics of discrimination are within the last recent section of time in the larger picture. So it's not too surprising that, you know, everything hasn't gotten worked out. But what's important is, is that we don't give up the inquiry of how do we make this stuff congruent with what we know to be true, you know? Oh, shall we wind up? Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs>